We are continuing in our series on the founding of America. There are many different views on the founding of America, and the question always is, were the founders Christians? Were they true believers in Jesus Christ, or were they deists? We have looked at the Puritans, the Pilgrims, and the Church in the early colonies. But what about the Founding Fathers? And then there's the question about slavery. Today, we're going to look at the life of one of the Founding Fathers of America and answer these questions as it relates to his life. I can't believe another week has passed. I'm so thankful to God. My client base is growing. I'm editing more and more podcasts. And by the way, if you need help with your podcasts, let me know. I'm really glad my office is a sunroom. I can just sit, see the beauty of the summer all around me. I've enjoyed getting outside, getting some gardening done. I really do love summer. I also wanted to tell you that this podcast was listed in a top 10 church history podcast called Feed Spot. I'm really honored to be on this list, and I hope you are enjoying it as well, and maybe I'm on your top 10 podcast list. Also remember, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that by checking out my Etsy page. I've got some great bugs that have church history quotes on them. Welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. Let's start where we left off. One of the questions that we have today is this. Were the Founding Fathers of America Christians? We've talked about the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and we can see the strong Christian influence that they had. The question still arises, were the Founding Fathers Christians? They did believe in God, that is clear. But were they deists or Christians? We've talked about deists in the past. They believed God created the world and then stood back and let everything run its course. They don't believe God interacted in the past or in the future with mankind. We also have to remember that it is unfair to judge a person based on just one moment in time. You can find writings by a person from the past and then assume that was everything they believed for the entirety of their lives. We would not think that about a person living today. We understand that each one of us holds different views and ideas throughout our lives. Why do we not allow the same thing for those in the past? Today, we're talking about John Adams and his son, John Quincy Adams. These two may be my favorite U.S. presidents. Is a Canadian allowed to have a favorite U.S. president? Yet, John Adams is the only one of the founding fathers that does not have a statue in the Capitol. I don't understand that at all. Let's look at these two men, John Adams and his son, John Quincy Adams. As I tell this story a few times throughout, I'm going to point out what William Wilberforce was doing at that time. The two men lived at the same time, and they both opposed the slave trade. I give details on William's life to you in this episode to give you context. You can learn more about William Wilberforce in the three episodes that I did on him. In 1735, John Adams was born in Massachusetts on October 30th. John Adams grew up in a Puritan home. He attended a congregational church. Based on his church and home he grew up in, 
we know John, at the very least, had a foundation of Christianity. As Adams grew into a man, he began to question the foundations of his faith. He began to question the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. He began to see himself and view himself as a Unitarian. During this time, he also spent a lot of time with Quakers, and it was under the influence of the Quakers that he came to see that slavery was immoral. Now, this seems obvious to us now, but remember, this was in a time period where slavery was in every country and was being used to grow brand new economies, like the sugar industry. In 1763, Adams started writing for a local newspaper under a false name. He had some controversial ideas, but he was a very gifted writer. One year after he started writing for the newspaper, he married a girl named Abigail Smith. Abigail Adams, at the very least, had strong Christian values and ethics. If you judge a Christian by their fruit, it would seem that Abigail Adams was a very godly woman. She raised five children that Abigail and John had together. One of them was John Quincy, who would follow in his father's footprints. John and Abigail attended the first parish church. They not only attended, but they were very active members. Throughout their entire life, they were both influential not only in the founding of America, but on the world political scene. Still, they remained part of and active in the First Paris Church. In 1766, John Adams had a visit from his cousin Samuel Adams. Samuel had joined a secret society called the Loyal Nine. They were spreading propaganda about forming a new country and freeing themselves from England. But things got out of hand when a stunt they pulled with some dummies they hung from a noose caused a mob to break out, and that mob attacked homes and destroyed them. The Loyal Nine needed help to get their message out properly. John Adams was a lawyer at the time, and he agreed to help them. He helped them form the Sons of Liberty, a secret society that began the War of Independence. I talked about this secret society in great detail in our episode called Heim Solomon. Although John Adams was not formally part of either the Loyal Nine or the Sons of Liberty, he was very influential in the group. And that is why it came as such a shock when he defended some of the most hated men. It all started on a very cold night, March 5th in 1770. A young, low-ranking soldier named Hugh White was guarding the Custom House on King Street. The people had started to see the soldiers as there to control them, not there to keep them safe. Someone started mocking Hugh White, and soon a mob had gathered around the young man mocking him. Some even threatened him. Young Hugh was surrounded, and he used his bayonet on his gun to fight back. The colonists then began to throw snowballs, and then ice, and then stones. Things were escalating. Then someone started ringing the bells in town. This is what people did in the case of an emergency. It was like the town fire alarm. 
Hugh White fell, and then things got even worse. Soldiers saw what was happening and came running to his aid. Inside the home Hugh was guarding was the king's money, and it was to be guarded at all costs. More soldiers came running, and more colonists also joined the mob. Now some colonists saw the escalation, and they knew they needed to calm things down. They pleaded with the soldiers to not shoot, and allow time for the mob to settle down. But the mob wasn't settling down, in fact it was growing. Now, not only were they throwing rocks, they had clubs. The fire bells that were ringing caused more concern, and someone, at some point, yelled fire. And then, a soldier fired his gun. That led to the other soldiers shooting and killing five men. One of those men was a man named Crispus Ackes, a black man who was fighting with the colonists. It was so chaotic, and the soldiers believed they had been ordered to shoot. The soldiers were arrested, and everyone wanted to see them hang. In a shocking turn of events, John Adams agreed to represent the soldiers, and then he won the case. They were found not guilty. This says something strong about his character. One, he was anti-slavery at a time when that was an unimaginable stance to take. And two, he represented the law enforcement that everybody wanted to see hung, and he won. In 1774, Adams joined the First Continental Congress. One of the things the Founding Fathers agreed on was the separation of the church and the state. Adams believed that the government corrupted religion, but Adams also believed that the belief in God was essential to a civilized society. He wrote in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, Without religion, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite society. I mean, hell. It was John Adams that was sent to France to negotiate a treaty of alliance. And it was with the aid of the French that the Americans got the help they needed to win the war. John Adams was then sent to be an ambassador for this brand new country. He had to convince people to see America as a legitimate country and not some kind of a joke. He was professional, and he carried himself in such a way that commanded respect. In 1789, Adams became the vice president under George Washington. He was part of the Federalist Party. To help put context to this story, this was two years after William Wilberforce became a Christian and began his journey and his work as an abolitionist. Adams wasn't as passionate or as single-minded about the end of slavery as William Wilberforce was. Adams believed the change would come slowly, and the key was changing the hearts of people, not changing laws. There was also more events that took place at this time. America was a new country and was seen as weak. Yes, they had a war with Britain, and that was impressive that they won. But still, they didn't have the military power of other nations, and some of those nations wanted that land. During this time, the new country was met with one of its first international crisis, pirates. It was in 1796, the same year that William Wilberforce almost passed the bill, banning the slave trade, but 
failed thanks to some free tickets given to people to convince them to skip the vote. That same year, Adams became the second president. And the year after that, George Washington died. During his time as president, Adams issued national calls to prayer. There was a time when it appeared that America was about to go to war with France. John Adams declared that the whole nation would have a day of prayer, where they would be humble, fast, and pray. The war was averted and never happened. This is just one of the reasons to believe that Adams at this time was contemplating his views on Christianity. Perhaps it was the weight of the presidency, the love of this new country, that showed him he needed God's help. When Thomas Paine wrote about criticizing Christianity, Adams wrote, The Christian religion is above all the religions that have ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times. The religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. Obviously, Adams knew he needed God, and that the nation needed God. It was just one year after William Wilberforce was married that the crisis between the pirates and America escalated. It was the year 1798. Cargo boats had been taken, and the Americans were taken as slaves to Libya. It had started back in 1785, when ships were taken and the sailors were forced into slavery. At first, America paid the ransoms, up to $25,000. But it was becoming clear the Americans needed to end the problem. The sailors who were taken were castrated, tortured, forced to convert to Islam, or be held as slaves for the rest of their lives. When Adams tried to negotiate with Libya, he found that the Muslim countries still saw themselves at war with Christianity. They saw America as a new Christian nation, and they were therefore obligated to be at war with it. To the Muslim nations, the Crusades were still going on. Adams bought a Quran and began to read it and study it. And that's when he realized there was no negotiating with the pirates or with the Muslim nations. They were going to need to attack, and they were going to need a navy. So Adams created the U.S. Navy. On March 28, 1786, John Adams declared what he saw as the main issue. This is what he wrote. We took the liberty to make some inquiries concerning the grounds of their pretensions to make war upon a nation who had done them no injury, and observed that we considered all mankind as our friends who had done us no wrong, nor given us any provocation. The ambassador replied that it was founded on the laws of the prophet, that it was written in the Quran that all nations who should not have acknowledged their authority were sinners, and that it was their right and duty to make war upon them wherever they could be found, and to make slaves of all they could and take prisoners, and that every Muslim who should be slain in battle was sure to go to paradise. Adam saw the problem with being at war with a nation that believed the way to heaven was through killing. This was the first enemy of America, and France was the second. In a few weeks, we're going to dive more into this time period 
and more details between Christianity and Islam during this time. That same year, John Adams created the Alien Sedation Act. France was looking like it was going to attack America. He would not allow French to become American citizens, and he also made it a crime to speak out against the American government. Adams knew how propaganda worked. He had helped the Loyal Nine and the Sons of Liberty. He knew how easy it would be for France to set up groups to convince people to take arms against the government. People really did not like this law. And in the next election, he lost to Thomas Jefferson, mostly because of this law. That was the year 1800. His son continued his legacy, both politically, but more importantly, as an abolitionist. While John Adams believed that slavery would end, he believed America needed time to get to that point. His son, John Quincy Adams, believed it was a priority and that it needed to happen immediately. In 1825, John Quincy Adams became the sixth president, but it was complicated. There was a three-way tie, Andrew Jackson, Henry Clay, and John Quincy Adams. And Congress chose John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams believed that he would be able to end slavery in America. The abolitionist group was growing. But as it grew and became stronger, so did the push to keep slavery legal. In 1826, John Adams died at the age of 91. He died the exact same day Thomas Jefferson died, and on the 50th anniversary of the founding of America. John Quincy Adams continued his father's work, but John Quincy Adams believed in the Trinity, and he believed Jesus was God, who came to earth to save us. He talked about this with his father when his father was alive. In one of his letters, he wrote this, I find in the New Testament, Jesus Christ accosted his own presence by one of the disciples as God. Without disclaiming the appellation, I see him named in the great prophecy of Isaiah concerning him to be the mighty God. Eventually, John Quincy Adams saw that they had reached a point where the line had been drawn and that the only way they would end slavery was probably going to be a civil war. Sin of slavery had not been dealt with in the founding of the nation because they were afraid it was a topic that would divide the nation. And now, just one generation later, it could possibly destroy the nation. On February 21, 1848, John Quincy Adams was in Congress giving a speech about slavery when he suffered a stroke at his desk in the House chamber. A new junior congressman was in Congress listening to the speech when John Quincy Adams died. He took up his call to end slavery. That young man's name was Abe Lincoln. I'm going to end by reading one more quote from John Quincy Adams. The Sermon on the Mount commands me to lay up for myself treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. My hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ. We're going to do one more episode about the founding of America, and we're going to look at it from a woman's point of view. And then we're going to look at the French Revolution and compare it to the American Revolution. The church was essential to both the French and the American Revolution. 
But in the American Revolution, the church was embraced. And in the French Revolution, the church was rejected. We're going to look at those two revolutions and compare them. And then a few weeks after that, we're going to look at the relationship between Islam and the church at this time period. Now, to make sure you don't miss any of these, you should subscribe. In the meantime, you can check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com, for more blogs, posts, and videos. I'll see you next week.